Okay, Shabbat Shalom and welcome to United Israel World Union. This is our Sabbath morning scripture study. Thank you for joining us this morning. I am pleased to be here with you today. I just wanted to uh, start off this morning by telling you, uh, if you don't know, the book is out, The Moses Scroll. I announced it last week, and um, thank you very much for your kind responses, and uh, I know that many of you by this time have ordered the book, uh, and I wanted to say thank you. It is only, by the way, just to answer some questions that have come up pretty frequently, it's only available at this time in paperback. So some of you have written and said, look, I'd love to get this, but I want to wait until the Kindle version, the electronic version comes out. That might be a while. I'm going to do that. I plan to do that, but it's not yet. It's not going to be for a while. Uh, presently, Amazon doesn't have uh, a hardback option for me. I do know that Dr. Tabor was brought in probably because of his popularity in book sales, was brought in on a uh, beta-type program, and he now has one of his books, the book on Paul's Ascent. That one is actually available in hardcover. So those of you who want hardcover, I can't give you that yet. Those of you who want Kindle, but I can tell you that the book in paperback is available worldwide distribution on Amazon. We already have people who've ordered it in Israel, in Japan, uh, in Canada. Um, I don't want to leave anyone out, but there are people ordering it globally. Australia, if I didn't say Australia, of course, Jono and Alana and a couple of other people have ordered it. So, uh, thank you, largely due to the response of United Israel World Union folks, the book, surprisingly to me, just because I consider myself, you know, I'm a Bible teacher, I have a few friends, uh, but I never would have imagined the positive response. It's already a trending number one new release in a couple of categories. Uh, all of that makes me feel good, I'll be honest, but what I really feel good about is that the book is out now and people can read it, and you get to make a decision. I want you to read it. I want you to review it. I want you to rate it, and uh, I look forward to your feedback. Uh, so that's all for the book at this moment. We're not teaching on the Moses scroll this morning. We are presently in our prophet series, and this today is class number 14, class 14 in the prophet series, and I'm going to be talking to you today about a special group, a group that is known biblically as Jehovah's Witnesses. We're going to talk about that today, and uh, so get ready. Last week, we talked about the gospel of Isaiah. In fact, the last two weeks, we've covered a topic that under the prophet series, I've categorized uh, the gospel of Isaiah. In the first one, I talked more about the one who is going to bring the good news, the bearer of good tidings, the harbinger, and so forth. We went through that two, three weeks ago. And then last week, I, I used the same idea, the same platform. I'm still talking last week about the gospel of Isaiah. 
But in that particular class, I focused more on the message. What, what is the content of the gospel of Isaiah? And, you know, because that term kind of catches you by surprise. The gospel of Isaiah, are you sure I'm in the right class? So I took the ideas by going through the text in Isaiah, uh, and I presented those in such a way that I laid out, if you will, what I felt like was the core message. Particularly last week, I focused on the subject of the second coming. I'm not talking about second coming of a Messiah. In the class last week, I made that very clear. Yes, it's a second coming. It's not a first coming. It's a second coming. I learned this from uh, Dr. Tabor's work. It's not the second coming of the Messiah. It's the second coming of Jehovah. You say, wait a minute. When did Jehovah come? Have you ever read the story about Sinai, about Horeb? Okay, so this, what Isaiah describes, the second coming, it's, uh, it's about the second coming of Jehovah. So I pointed out last week, and I'm pulling something up here for myself so that I can follow along. See there? Okay, but the content of the message I broke down as it's about the true Elohim, talking about the gospel of Isaiah. It's about the coming of the true Elohim. And it's about the work of the true Elohim, which involves a very special group of people. So this week in our class, I'm still in the book of Isaiah, primarily. Now, I'll do other things, but I'm primarily still within the text of the prophet Isaiah. And I'm still working in some ways with the same ideas that we've covered over the last two weeks, but we're taking it further. We're building on what we covered in the gospel of Isaiah and then the message of that gospel last week. I want to begin to focus. Now, remember, the message of Isaiah, particularly this, this particularly section, uh, chapters 40 through 66, known to scholars as Deutero or 2nd Isaiah, is one of the greatest uh, testaments, if you will, to uh, the oneness of God. Over and over and over, we covered this last week, text after text where this chapters 40 through 66 deal with first-person declarations from God where he says, I am God and there is no other. Is there another? I know not any. Ain od, the Hebrew says. Ain od. No more. No more. By myself, all these phrases. <clears throat> so when we get into the second part of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, this is one of the core messages. It's more strongly put more clearly articulated, more clearly presented in this part of the book than anywhere else in the Bible, in my opinion. This oneness, this oneness of God, ain't owed. So we're going to build on, in this week's class, we're going to build on some of the points that were covered previously, but for a different reason. In other words, we might read the same text but we're going to see something totally different. 
This is one of the things that I want you to understand by following these classes is that these texts can be opened up and examined for different elements. And that's what we're going to show today. I want you to go with me this morning, blow the dust off your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah chapter 43, Yeshua, Isaiah 43, and I want to read to you verse 10 and 11. Isaiah 43:10 You are my witnesses says Jehovah my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me there was no god form neither shall there be after me I even I am Jehovah and beside me there is no the English says deliver. Okay, any ambiguity there? Is that pretty clear? Pretty clear. Okay, now look, 12, verse 12. I have declared and have saved and have announced, and there was no strange God among you, therefore you are my witnesses, says Jehovah, and I am God. Yea, from the first I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall reverse it? Again, the oneness is declared without any ambiguity. Very, very clearly stated. Now look with me at Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus says Jehovah, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, Jehovah of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Remember, we covered this a few weeks ago. Beside me there is no God, and who is like me? Let him proclaim it, let him declare it, and set it in order for me from when I appointed the eternal people, let them relate for themselves the things that will come and are to be. Fear not, neither be afraid. Have not, I told you, from that time and have declared it, for you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no rock. I know not any. Now, whenever we read these texts, and there are plenty of others, but when we read these texts, there's no room for any... I can't help you with that here, unfortunately. Thank you, Siri. I got this. There is no room for any other understanding than that which Isaiah makes clear in these words. These words, thus saith Jehovah... You have Jehovah saying, is there another God? I know not any. Is there another rock? There's no other rock. Is there any, you know, let, let that one declare it. You know, it's almost a taunting because the message is unequivocal. It is so clearly communicated that there's no reason, there's no way that you can inject any other understanding. That's the point. Now, 
on the one true Elohim. Just what I just read, these three passages, uh, and this is all I want to deal with today. I'm going to begin to drill down on these three. If you look at Isaiah 43.10, just kind of pick out the points that underscore the oneness, right? He says, I am he, before me, there's no God formed, okay? That he's saying, if you look back as far as eternity, there's no God formed. My granddaughter Ainsley was at the house yesterday, and uh, she was at the table, and we were talking, and she, you know what she asked me is that question that all kids have. She's like, so Saba, God was here all the time, like forever? And I said, yep, when we get, when we open the Bible, God's there. God is there. It's that Adon Olam, you know the song. Uh, This idea that from the beginning, God is there. And this is the point that Isaiah is making. That if you go back in time, according to the very mouth of Jehovah, he says, there was not another before me. No God was formed before me. Then he says, neither, 43.10, Isaiah 43.10, neither shall there be after me. So if you go, okay, well, there wasn't a God before Jehovah, but maybe there's, no, the loop is closed. None before none after. He says, I am the first and I am the last, right? Now, look at verse 11 of 43. It says, beside me, there is no, I think the English says deliverer. In Hebrew, it's Moshiach, Savior, no Moshiach. Now, this is not, people get confused and and I, I love the fact that people are learning Hebrew. Please be encouraged to do that. Study Hebrew. Learn to read this. Be very careful uh, because a lot of people, you, you get in and you get close and you see this word sounds a little bit like this or it's got similar letters and people begin to conflate. You know, well, this word looks like that one, so maybe they're the same. Let me give you an example. People say, uh, I hear people sometimes pronounce Uh, Moshiach, like come Moshiach. Well, that's not a word in Hebrew. It's Mashiach. See, Moshiach is a different word. It has different letters. It has some similar letters. But Mashiach and Moshiach are different. It's like they're as different in Hebrew as cat and car in English. Don't think, well, this has got a mem and it's got a sheen and it's got... So it's the same word. That's dangerous. You know, again, in English, cat and car have two similar letters, but that final letter makes all the difference. It it makes a difference if you go to the grocery store on your cat or on your car. It's totally different. See there? Now, but here in 4311, Jehovah says, besides me, there is no... Moshiach, no savior. So people have to be careful. Verse 12, Jehovah saying, I have declared, I have saved, I have announced. Verse 13, I am God. Now in in this particular verse, in verse 13, the other reason it's important to study Hebrew 
is you want to look at the English God. What is that? It could be El, it could be Eloah, it could be Elohim, it could be, you know, a whole host of words. But here it's Aniel, I am El. Also, verse 13, also from a day, Anihu, I am He. I will work and who can reverse it? He, his work. See, this work keeps coming up in Isaiah as well. Now in 44, in 44, verse 6, Jehovah speaking, thus says Jehovah, he declares himself the king of Israel and Israel's redeemer, uh, Jehovah of hosts. He says, Ani, I am the first and I am last. Again, beside me, there is no God. Verse 8, Isaiah 44, verse 8. Is there a God beside me? Now, when you look at the Hebrew here, he says in the question, is there a God? There in Hebrew, it's Eloah. Is there an Eloah beside me? Indeed, there is no rock. I know not any. I love thinking of my L as a rock. The psalmist David picks this up a lot. You know, it's a fortress. It's a God is a protector. This idea, a soul protecting God of uh, strength that can't be undone. And, and like he says, I will work and who will reverse it? His purposes will come to pass. The question after we read this is, do you find any ambiguity at all? Is there any uncertainty? Could you look at these and say, well, uh, there's more than one God, or there was a God before Jehovah, or there was a God. Could you say those things after reading these passages? And the answer is no. You should not be able to. Now, I know people do. You shouldn't be able to. The singularity, the oneness is stressed so ever clearly. Now, there are many, many other passages that declare this oneness and this uh, this solidarity, this singularity. Now, I'm not going to go through because we've taught that in other classes. My question is going to take what we just covered just now about the oneness of God, and I'm going to ask you this question. Who is being addressed? Right? Who? I mean, he says, and thus says Jehovah... To, To whom is this message addressed? It's this question that deserves our attention today. Go back to Isaiah 43 and 10. Isaiah 43 and 10. Says you, plural, ye, are my witnesses. Ye are my witnesses, declares Jehovah, and that's plural. Look down at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, you are my witnesses, says Jehovah, and I am God. 
chapter 44, verse 8 says, uh, For you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other, right? So we're going to talk a minute about the witnesses, the group that are referred to here. There are three verses, three verses in the Hebrew Bible that say this. They're all found right here. You have them in your notes now. That's it. Listen to me. Ain od. There are no more that say this. You are my witnesses. And people go, wait a minute. I thought there were ain od. This is it. These three. All in Isaiah. Atim day. Ed. Ed is a witnesses. Edai is the plural. You, Atim, you, plural, are my witnesses. And these witnesses, and that's Jehovah speaking, so this group that he is addressing is the ancient, original Jehovah's Witnesses. Before it was another group, which I have friends who are in the modern-day Jehovah Witnesses, and a lot of these people are wonderful, wonderful Bible students, very knowledgeable. They love the Scriptures. Now, go look at 4310 again. 4310. Um. Whom I have chosen, you are my witnesses, says Jehovah, and my servant, whom I have chosen, chosen. Now, the question becomes, why are they chosen? Why are they chosen? That's a, this is a big part of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you are my witnesses, says Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And before me there's no God and so forth. The, the idea is that this special group, the Jehovah Witnesses, are chosen so that they might know him and believe him and understand that he is he. Right? Their job, they have a task. They're chosen for a task. To be the ones who know and understand not only God, but understand his oneness. Now look, hold your hand here and go to Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 9 and verse 22. Thus says Jehovah... Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, translation says glory, neither let the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him that boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Jehovah, who exercise faithful love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says Jehovah. Go back to Isaiah. They're chosen 
Jehovah's Witnesses are chosen that they might know and understand the oneness of God. That they might know and understand Jehovah, but that they might also understand him as he seeks to be understood and represented as a singular beside whom there is no other. That's the task. You say, you're a witness? Yeah, what do you witness? Well, I witness the oneness. I'm a witness of the oneness. There you go. There's a t-shirt idea, Mark. Witness of the oneness. 4312. 4312. Um, there was no strange God among you. It's, it's this idea, not only do you witness the oneness, but it's that God and that God alone, no other, ain't, oh, no more are allowed, no more are, first of all, no more exist, but particularly should they not exist in our minds and in our belief systems. There's, there's no room. He's suggesting that there's no God uh, among you, nor has there ever been, no strange God among you. And then verse 13, it's that none can deliver out of my hand. He is a protecting God. That's what is wrapped up in this idea of a chosen group, that they are the witness, uh, that they have no other gods. Not only do they witness the one, there are no other gods in their thinking, in their ideas, in their theology, uh, and they're protected. They're protected. Now, this chosen witness, this chosen group, they're also known by another title. They're, they're called the witnesses, the witnesses, Jehovah Witnesses. But they're also called another group here in Isaiah 43. Look at verse 10. You are my witnesses, says Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the servant, and uh, I did, I do know that our friend Jodell is working on a major study on this, and she's going at this uh, in a different way, uh, different meaning. She's going to use scriptural evidence, and I don't know what she's coming up with. All I know is that she says that it is going to be very, it's going to be a big impact, and uh, she's done a lot of research on this. I don't have a clue as to where she's going. What I'm going to do is deal with this uh, servant idea uh, at a different, uh, a different approach, I assume, uh, because I don't have any idea what she's got. For that, and Jodell is probably listening, so Jodell, bring your book. We're, we're excited. This is a time where people are putting books out, so we look forward to that. But I want to talk about the servant in a general sense, not so concerned with identifying a particular individual, you know, like uh, Christianity says, well, this is Jesus of Nazareth. And there are others. There are other uh, prophetic figures um, who have been identified as that servant. That's not what this study is about. So everybody get ready, though, because I want to go through the text of the servant, and we're going to look at clues. We're going to look at what does the text tell us about the servant. Now, if you if you notice in Isaiah forty three ten, 
Um, we're dealing with a group in 4310. It's not an individual. Uh, there, we'll get to that. Uh, but what I want to stress here is that this is plural. This is a group known as the servant. And if, if you see 4310, you are my witnesses, plural says Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen. So I'm going to deal with the plural servant uh, first of all. Okay, I want you to go with me to Isaiah 41, Isaiah 41 and uh, verse 8, Isaiah 41, 8. And I want to read this. Uh, But you, Israel, are my servant. Now, if you're taking notes, here's the way that note will look. Israel, servant. You can fluff it up. You can add a little bit here and there. But the clue is this. Uh, If somebody goes, who is the servant? Well, Isaiah 41.8 says, Israel, you are my servant. Is that pretty clear? Pretty clear, right? Could you say, well, maybe it doesn't really mean Israel. Uh, It means Israel, okay? Israel, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Okay, now look for for words that we're already talking about. Chosen, servant, the seed of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners and said to you, you are my servant. Now I'm going to break this down in a minute. I have chosen you, not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Indeed, I will help you. Moreover, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them, shalt not find them. Those that contend with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, Jehovah your God, will hold your right hand, saying to thee, Fear not, I will help you. White space. Isaiah 41, 8 through 13 is set off by white spaces. Israel is described here as the servant, and Jacob is the one whom I have chosen. Now remember, Jehovah is speaking. So Jehovah says to Israel, Israel, you're my servant. Fingers still pointing at Israel. He says, Jacob, whom I have chosen. It's not two different groups. It's Israel, Jacob. Seed of Abraham. This is physical descent. Let me tell you what's not allowed in this text. It is boxed out. It is closed off to, to replacement theology. So if somebody says, well, uh, I kind of think that this is what this means. Well, if you're not saying Israel is a servant, Jacob is the chosen, the seed of Abraham, this is not, you can't squeeze into this replacement theology. It is what it is. Now, each of these can be explored. Servant, chosen, friend. Now, friend, let me just focus on that just for a moment. Uh, Where it says that Abraham 
my friend. Jehovah calls Abraham his friend. In Hebrew, the root word is ahav. It means love. This is very, very strong. It doesn't mean like, uh, you know, like you, you have a friend. You go, hey, friend, how you doing? No, this is, it's, you could almost say lover, but lover in our idea, you know, it might give us a different idea. So what, but you could say beloved. Abraham, my beloved. I like that better than friend. It's stronger because you keep the word ahab. You keep the word love in it. By the way, this, this particular, hold your hand here and go to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7. And this, by the way, is Jehoshaphat. Uh, Jehoshaphat says this, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7. Are you not our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and did give it? to the seed of Abraham, your friend forever. Abraham, your friend. Same phrase, ahav. And by the way, the New Testament also says, uh, uses this phrase. In the New Testament, in James uh, chapter 2, verse 23, it says that uh, it uses this idea about Abraham being God's friend. His, his beloved, Abraham, we know from the biblical story in Genesis 12 is called, Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 18, we have this remarkable encounter where Abraham and Jehovah are side by side and they're actually talking and we get an inside glimpse into the very mind, the thoughts of God where he says, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? He says, because I know him and he'll teach his children after him. Very powerful idea. He chose Abraham. He chose a particular group to be his servant, to be his witnesses. And listen, that group is a physical group descended from the one he loved. It's like God says, my love my love. He talks about Abraham as my love, my beloved. This idea is so powerful. He loves Abraham so much that he chooses his seed after him. Now, the Torah knows about this particular chosenness, but it's only found in the Pentateuch in the book of Deuteronomy, only in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, you can, I'm talking about the word, this idea of being chosen uh, using that particular word. I want you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4 and uh, verse 37, Deuteronomy 4 and 37. And this is not uh, to exclude those who would join themselves uh, with the chosen people by any means. You know, we have plenty of text, and I've taught on that many times. I'm just talking about, in this class, I want people to get the idea, who is this chosen group? And you can say, well, you know, well, what about this group? Does God not love them? Totally different class. I want to focus on the servant, the witnesses, this Jehovah Witness group. 
Uh, Deuteronomy 4.37, please. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose. Therefore he chose. Now the the root word there is bait, het, resh. Bait, het, resh. He chose their seed after them and brought thee out. He himself being present. And if you had a red and blue pencil, you can neatly underline that phrase. He himself being present. With his mighty power out of Egypt to drive out nations from before thee, greater and mightier than you are, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore this day, and consider it in your heart, that Jehovah, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is no other. Now listen, we're talking about chosenness. And here we have this idea again about the oneness, right? That there is no other. You shall therefore keep uh, his statutes and his judgments, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days upon the earth, which Jehovah your God gives you forever. Very clear that the chosenness is chosen for a task, for a mission. It's not that you're like you go, wow, I'm chosen. I'm the chosen one. Yeah, well, get ready because you have a job to do. You know, it's, uh, you, you ever hear the, uh, like I was in the army. Some of you are military as well. I got one piece of advice from my dad before I went into the army. He said, son, never volunteer. Never volunteer. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. You know, I, I want to be recognized. You know, you want to you want to fit in and stuff, and, and you've seen it in the movies if you hadn't been in the military. If you've been in the military, you were in that movie where they said, you know, uh, I need two volunteers, I'm, and I'm waiting. I need somebody to raise their hand. Well, volunteer, you know, I had one time, I, I need a volunteer to be a driver. You know, that sounds like a good job. Well, you're driving a wheelbarrow. Don't volunteer. This task is not easy. This job, this mission requires exertion. It's very big. Look at Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6. We're talking about the chosenness. It's not just to be chosen to have some status. You're chosen for a job. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. For you are a holy people to Jehovah your God. Jehovah your God has chosen you to be a special people to himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, that sounds pretty good. Jehovah did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you're the fewest of all the people, but because Jehovah loved you and because he would keep the oath that he had sworn to your fathers as that Jehovah brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Mitzrayim, of Egypt. Know, therefore, that Jehovah your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and truth with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He'll not be slack to him that hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command you this day to do them. Chosen 
not because you're more numerous, chosen not for any of those reasons. He chose you because he loved the fathers and he's keeping a promise. Go with me to Deuteronomy 10. Again, I want to stress these ideas of being chosen in the Pentateuch, you only find them, only find them here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does Jehovah your God require of you but to fear Jehovah your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve Jehovah your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day for your good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens belongs to Jehovah your God, the earth also, with all that is on it. Only Jehovah took delight in your fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. And then it goes on. Circumcised, therefore, is foreskin of your heart, and so forth. So again, you have a task to do. And part of that task, part of that responsibility, let's call it, of being the chosen, the witnesses, the servant, is that you belong to a special cadre of humanity. You're witnesses of the oneness. You're servants of the king. You are keepers of the way. You know, it's interesting in in Genesis 18 when God thinks to himself, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? He knows he's going to teach his children to keep the way of Jehovah. You see, they go together. You you have a task, you're the chosen, you're the witness, you're the chosen nation, but that's for a purpose, a mission. Deuteronomy 14, uh, this is the last reference in the Pentateuch. There are only four, all in Deuteronomy, about the chosenness. Deuteronomy, and I'm talking using the word, you might find it in your English, but the Hebrew, Beit Het Resh, is only in Deuteronomy about Israel. Uh, 14.2, for you are a holy people to Jehovah your God, and Jehovah has chosen you to be a special people, a special possession to himself. In Hebrew, segulah, you've heard that, either James's original class or mine. A special, a segulah to himself out of all the nations that are upon the earth. Chosen. Go back to Isaiah 41. Here in Isaiah 41, uh, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, uh, are servants. They were saved out of Egypt. Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, God loved the fathers and made a promise. But they were in Egypt, and we can talk, this is another class altogether, why were they in Egypt? But part of the the reason they're rescued and the reason this story resounds throughout the ages as a beacon in, in everyone's consciousness, you know, people have adopted this idea of the freedom that the Hebrew Bible presents in the Exodus story 
as a template almost for their own desires for freedom. Think about it. You think about the great social events of the times all throughout the ages. You know, if you look at when the the people fled Europe to come to America in search of religious freedom, they constantly quoted this idea of the exodus, that the bad guys at their time were the pharaohs and that they were fleeing and that God was preparing the way before them. You see, it provides a template. The great civil rights movement, you know, we, there's a reason that Harriet Tubman is declared Moses. We look at people like uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. They, they use the language of the freedom of the Torah, of the Exodus in particular, to describe this because there, there is this sense that it echoes through the ages. And the reason that Israel was saved was for a purpose. For a purpose uh, to, to show forth the reason that they were rescued in the first place, and that is they are going to be witnesses of the oneness, keepers of the way, and so forth. Over and over in the Torah story of the Exodus, it says this, Shalak Send forth my people that they may serve me. Go with me. Let's go to Exodus 4. I want to show you these verses. They're powerful when you take them consecutively. Go to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 23. Exodus 4, 23. Um, Let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, your firstborn. Israel is my son, my firstborn. I'm sorry, I skipped the part, verse 22. Uh, Say this, you shall say this to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, thus says Jehovah, Israel is my son, my firstborn, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Look at Exodus chapter 7. Exodus 7. Why are they to be set free? To serve Jehovah. You see that? Exodus 7, verse 16. And it says, You shall say to him, talking about to Pharaoh, uh, Jehovah, God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Shalakitami, set my people go, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. Now, look at 8.1. It's actually going to be chapter 7, verse 26 in the Hebrew. 8.1 in English, 7.26 Hebrew. The Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Jehovah, let my people go that that they may serve me. You see? Look at at verse 20, which is... uh, Let's see, it's 8.16 in the Hebrew. Verse 20 in English, but 8.16 in Hebrew. And Jehovah said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he comes forth to the water and say to him, Thus says Jehovah, Let my people go that they may serve me. 
couple more just to get this point. Nine one. Nine one. Then Jehovah said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, tell him, thus says Jehovah God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Is it message getting in? Look at verse 13. And Jehovah said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Adonai Jehovah, God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 10 and verse 3. And Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says Jehovah, God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the only reason that the children of Israel were demanded for their freedom was that they might be servants. That's the only reason. Shalakatami. Everybody quotes, uh, let my people go, like it's in the jussive. I'm not sure. It, it seems a little stronger than that in the grammar to me. It's shalakatami, seems to me, to mean send forth my people. Like, not, hey, do you mind, let my people go. It's send forth my people, shalakatami, that they might serve me. So here... Jehovah's message to the greatest ruler of the world at the time is the servants that you have, they're not your servants. I'm going to need those. He doesn't say, let my people go that they can be placed, you know, in a nice little category as my people. And, you know, no, I need servants. Israel is a servant nation whose only master, whose only master is Jehovah. Go back to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. And verse 1. Now, in the book of Isaiah, we we read chapter 41, uh, verses 8 through 13. Uh, that's not listed if, if you do a study. We're going to work through what are called the servant songs uh, of Isaiah. But Isaiah 41 is typically, typically not listed as one of the servant songs, although it has a lot about the servant in it that I think is important. I don't think. I know it's important. But most people, when they talk about the servant songs, it's Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Isaiah 49, 1 through 6, we're going to go through all of these, not today, all of them, but over the course of the weeks. Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 7, and the fourth servant song is Isaiah 53, 12, uh, 52, 13 through 53, 12. Those four songs supposedly contain everything that one needs to understand the idea of the servant. This is important. Now, what we're establishing at this time is the idea that Israel, the chosen, the witnesses, descendants of Abraham, the beloved, are the servant. They were, the the whole reason they were brought out of Egypt was to serve Jehovah. They are to be 
the Jehovah's Witnesses and Jehovah's Servant. Okay, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold, now I'm, I'm, I'm doing the white spaces. I kind of got stuck there for a second. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 42, 1 is the beginning of a white space. Now, this does not mean that what precedes it is not attached to it, but I want to focus here at the white space, uh, chapter 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the nations. He shall not cry, nor lift up his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the dimly burning flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth, and shall not fail nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his Torah. His Torah? Now look. A lot of people jump into these texts, but they don't carefully study. And they don't know Hebrew, so they get off. They find a phrase here or there, and they associate it with a certain person or personality or figure, but they fail to follow the evidence. We're going to follow the evidence here. I want you to look at this. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Now... Who is the servant here? It it doesn't say, do you see anywhere in what I just read in chapter 42, 1 through 4, the word Israel? No. So the question is, is this a different servant? Maybe a servant within Israel. Ah, or maybe the words here. This is why I've been going painstakingly through these texts to show you how to connect things. Here in this text are clues that people miss. Here we go. You behold my servant whom I uphold. All I need to know is where does it say that God upholds someone, anyone? Because if... Somehow I can find Jehovah upholding one, even though it doesn't identify the servant here other than to say servant, then maybe I'll find a clue. I think that's the case. Because in Hebrew, where it says whom I uphold, the root word there is uh, a Hebrew word that means to hold or support. Uh, Tav. Mim, kaf. And it's only used in one other verse associated with the servant. You see how I qualified that? So if I, it's used other places, but only one other text about the servant. So all we need to know, Ross, is what other text about the servant does it mention that there is an upholding going on, go look at 41.10. 41.10. Uh, for Fear not, 
I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Indeed, I will help you. Moreover, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, this is about the servant. And if you look at the white space, it, I read it earlier. This is why I put this in the class, 41.8, 8 through 13. This says, but you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. So, this one, Israel, Jacob, seed of Abraham. He says, I will uphold thee. Chapter 42 says, whom I uphold. You, you can't start making things up. You can't go looking elsewhere for a connection that's not there. We have servant. Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 13. We have servant, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. 41, verses 8 through 13 tell us that the servant is Israel. Jacob is the seed of Abraham, my beloved. 42, verses 1 through 4 just says servant. Doesn't tell us all that. But it does say, you're the servant that upheld. So, upheld, upheld, conflate, they go together. Okay, but we're not done. It says uh, in chapter 42, my elect, my elect, I love how the English translators just, my elect in whom my soul delights, my elect, my elect. Well, there's a new word only in English, people. In Hebrew, it's not a new word at all. In Hebrew... The word there translated elect is not elect. I mean, it could be if you translate it that way, but the translator has all of a sudden forgotten that he translates bait, het, resh as chosen. You see, it throws you off. You go, well, Isaiah 41 talks about the chosen, but then when I get here, it talks about the elect. It's a different word, only in English. In Hebrew, it's a clue. It tells us that my elect, my elect one, is really my chosen one, the same chosen one. He doesn't have a new chosen one. In fact, bait het resh is something that Isaiah uses. Now, in our special section of Isaiah... Only Isaiah uses the phrase, my chosen one. All right? Bechiri. Bechiri in Hebrew. My chosen one. Only Isaiah. Okay, get ready. These are your verses. Uh, man, you, you, we better hope that uh, Baruch is here this week. Uh, he always is. He'll get this. Okay, chapter 42, verse 1. I just read it. Listen, these are the, ch- these are the ones about my chosen Behold, my servant, whom I uphold. I'm going to go ahead and correct the English here and say, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Okay? Now look at verse 4320. 4320. And it says, The beast of the field shall honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I've given water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to drink 
uh, to give drink to my people, my chosen ones. By the way, this language here about giving drink in the desert and all, that starts back in Isaiah 35. So you have to know that these themes are repeated and further developed as we go. Here in Isaiah 43, Jehovah is saying he's going to make this way through the sea, beginning at the white space in 16, new things, former things. But here's, here's the point. My chosen, my people. Look at chapter 45 and verse 4. Isaiah 45 and verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. You see that word elect? I don't advocate that you make a mess of your Bible, but you need to know that that's my chosen. I have even called thee by thy name. Oh, we're going to run into that phrase. I have surnamed thee, though you have not known me. I am Jehovah, there is none else. See all the consistent themes? We keep going through them. Go to Isaiah 65. Remember, only Isaiah and only in the second part do we deal with this idea of the elect or the chosen. Bichri. Um, Isaiah 65, verse 9. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob. Huh, that sounds familiar. Uh, and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my chosen ones shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Okay, see the context there? We're just, we're just hitting that because I want you to see who the chosen ones are, see? Because this is our servant group. Verse 15, Isaiah 65. Uh, and you shall leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones. For Jehovah, Elohim, shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. All right, I'm just touching this. Go to verse 22. You see how there's so much around this, and you're probably like, well, wait, I want to see what else. Verse 22, Isaiah 65. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat, for as the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen ones shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Chosen ones, we're talking about the people. Oh, hold on, I don't want to leave you there. There are two Psalms that I want to bring in too. Go to Psalm 105. I want to show you who this chosen, the chosen ones are, because it ties with Isaiah. It's biblical. Uh, Psalm 105 and verse 6. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. I'll read one more. He is Jehovah our God. Look, is there any confusion here as to who the chosen ones are? Um, Look at verse 43 of Psalm 105. Uh, let's see, verse 44, I guess. His people with joy, oh, he, and he brought out his people with joy and his chosen ones with gladness and gave them the lands of the nations and they seized the labor of the peoples that they might observe his statutes and keep his instructions. Hallelujah. His people, his chosen ones, 
That's the group. 106. Psalm 106. Last verse I want to cover on this, I think. Psalm 106, verse 4. Um, Remember me, O Jehovah, when you show favor to your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the good of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned and uh, with our fathers and have committed iniquity and done wickedness and so forth. So this group, uh, this chosen ones... We're talking about Israel. Uh, one more, one more. First Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16 and verse 13. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is Jehovah our God, his judgments are on the earth. That's similar to the psalm we just read. But you get, like, you, you go, well, who... Who is God's servant? Who is God's witness? Who is God? You know, it's like they, they go together. It, it's the same answer. It's not a trick question. Like I could ask this question three ways on a multiple choice test, and everywhere you see Israel, just go ahead and circle that one, right? That's what it is. So far, is there any confusion uh, about these terms or phrases? He says in... Isaiah 42, I have put my spirit on the servant, okay? Now, that's another clue. It's another clue. This, by the way, is where I'm going to have to pull things together because we, we've got to save more for next week. We have to take this deeper. But, but I want to cover this one more point. This, the servant of Isaiah 42 says, I will put my spirit upon... Now, we have other places in the Bible where God puts his spirit on, you know. I mean, it, you, you can think of plenty. And then the, the boring out of the spirit on all flesh and, you know, you think. But here, here's what I want you to be specific. This specific phrase, I have put my spirit. Hear what I'm saying? I have put my spirit. That is used. In Isaiah 42, and only one other place in the Hebrew Bible. So if it's, if there's, Isaiah 42 says, I put my spirit upon, if I could find one more, this is what I love about Bible study, if I can find one more to where I can say, well, I don't know, Isaiah 42 doesn't really say, even though I tech-connected the one that's upheld, and but I need more evidence to support my position. If I can find one more about it, I will put my spirit, and I did. You ready? Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37. And verse 14. I'll start in verse 13. I'll start in verse 12. (laughs) I'll start in verse... No, I'm going to start in verse 12. Thus says Adonai Jehovah, Behold, O my people, I will open... 
your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am Jehovah when I have opened your graves, O my people, and have brought you up out of your graves. And I shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, Jehovah, have spoken and performed it. This connection with Isaiah 42 and the servant brings these two together and indicates to us who the servant is in Isaiah 42. Now, some of you might think, well, wait a minute. What about the servant and the suffering servant? Look, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Right now, I want to take these texts and I want to be honest to the text. I don't want to put my thoughts in. The evidence tells me uh, that Isaiah 42 is the same servant, Israel, as is called forth in Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 13. It is the chosen. The chosen is connected with everything that we read in uh, Deuteronomy about the one that is chosen. Everything. The servant that is described in Isaiah is the servant that God declared uh, to Moses to, to bring forth out of Egypt. Shalakitami. Why? Because they're a servant to him. All of this begins to connect. Abraham was beloved. Abraham, because of this great love that Jehovah had for him, Jehovah chose Abraham and his seed after him. He chose you, you your seed, Abraham, are the chosen. Sometimes translated elect. Same, it's the same. Don't get confused. I don't mean to confuse you. English has elect for bait, het, resh. It's, it's, uh, it's chosen. And it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. This group of chosen ones, the seed of Abraham, the beloved of God, God would say, Abraham, my love. They're the servant nation. They cannot or not supposed to serve another God. They are witnesses of the oneness. They are Jehovah's witnesses. They are inspirited to accomplish a great task. And there is a lot more that we have to look at when it comes to the servant. But for that, you have to join me next Saturday at 10.30 a.m. Central Time right here. Facebook, YouTube. I love you. Have a great Shabbat and uh, have a beautiful week. Shavuot Tov.